This is DMOU, Destination Marketing Organization University, the DMO Sectors Podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Geist. DMOU is where you hear the best and the brightest in the destination marketing space, sharing innovative and compelling stories to inspire you to take your destination and organization to the next level. The format for our conversations on DMOU is elegantly simple. It's three questions and a bonus round. And today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Civitas, the leading resource for tourism improvement districts. John Lambeth and his expert team deliver unequaled knowledge, depth, and experience to destinations and communities that seek sustainable funding solutions to fuel their futures. You can learn more at civitasadvisors.com. And now it is on to our show. Well, Dan Garamani has worked across the world with over a decade of tourism marketing and management experience. She began her career at age 20 as a tour guide in her home country of Iran. She established a faculty seat after finishing her master's degree in tourism marketing from her home university in Tehran and taught research method classes at the university for two years. Shortly thereafter, she co-founded an eco-tourism development company, which she co-owned for four years before she moved to the United States. In November of 2020, Ladan completed her doctorate in sustainable tourism management at the Department of Parks, Recreation, and Tourism Management at North Carolina State University. At Travel Oregon, as the head of research, she applies her knowledge and wealth of industry experience to the betterment of the Oregon community, working to protect the state's social, cultural, and natural assets. We are also joined by Allison George. She was born and raised in Keno, Oregon, where her ancestors established one of the very first hotels along the banks of the Klamath River. Women's basketball provided amazing opportunities for her to attend college, where she put her dramatic flair to good use while earning a degree in theater arts from Carroll College in Helena, Montana. After graduating, she returned home to Oregon to live in the Portland area, and after careers in both insurance and telecommunications, Allison found the tourism industry by chance, and she has continued to love it with over a decade in the industry. She began at the Washington County Visitors Association in product development, and today she is the manager of Travel Oregon's Welcome Center program. Allison enjoys storm watching on the coast, road trips with Luan, Oregon wine, thrift store hunts, cycling, and fostering dogs for a local rescue shelter. Ladies, welcome to DMOU. Well, thank you. Thank you. Well, I'm just not as exciting as Ladon. <laughs> I had That's to follow that. Wow. I don't know. I thought your bios are both great. So, and uh, that, that storm watching piece, I'm there next time I'm out on the coast with you. Oh, great. Uh, hey, Good. We wanted to talk visitor centers because it continues to be a hot topic. It was a hot topic before COVID. And I think that COVID has forced the hand of so many DMOs because of limited resources, reduced resources, that if they were questioning the value of a visitor information center, now they're having a hard time justifying it even further. And, and, and so many were shuttered during the plague. We were out in Oregon this past June and were dismayed to find every single one of your centers were shuttered and because we really wanted to check them out while we were out there. Some destinations have shuttered theirs. Some have actually sold their visitor centers. Others are doubling down, though, believing that visitor centers are more important than ever to connect consumers and local businesses. So all the decisions that we're seeing seem to be being made on an anecdotal basis. There's not a lot of research here. And yet the two of you intrinsically believed there was a value and you needed proof. So first question, how do you go about securing the proof that there is an absolute ROI to a visitor information center? Well, let me just start by saying uh, that when it comes to all of those anecdotal examples of, of the value of welcome centers, 
those are lovely. And of course, staff really appreciates that, but you cannot take that to the bank. If, if you cannot show ROI like any other program, you're going to struggle to communicate the actual value of what it is that Welcome and Visitor Centers provide. And so really with Ladan and her background in research, we partnered up and I explained where we were at, that we really had no data, no hard data to explain the actual ROI. And that's where she came in and it was fantastic. I didn't need to convince her why <laughs> we needed that data. She's just a data queen. So she jumped on it and I'll let you take it from there, Ladon. Yeah, thanks, Allison. The very first step really we needed to take was for us to understand how much visitors to welcome centers are spending, right? It was a very simple question that we needed to answer first and then compare that with the spending from the other visitors that weren't necessarily stopping by visitor centers. So we started from there and we were already collecting data at each welcome center, both visitor counts and visitor spending. So it was all just putting those pieces together and using a solid methodology to estimate the economic impacts um, that is generated from those visitors. So I started with really saying what we found uh, because that's very fascinating and I can elaborate on how we actually conducted the study. So what we found was that travelers who stop at welcome centers do demonstrate greater engagement by utilizing those in-person visitor services that we offer at welcome centers. And also they consider additional recommendations from the welcome center staff. So this engagement really shows um, in the average spending uh, as well. So we found out on average visitors to welcome centers spend 68% more on their entire trip in the state than other types of visitors. In actual amounts, this equates to an average spend of $492 per trip versus $293 per trip, wow. which is very significant. Mm, let that sink in. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And what we knew from the Welcome Center staff anecdotally was that visitors would adjust their plans um, to visit additional attraction. And what that means is that visitors would end up staying longer, right? Like the length of stay is definitely playing a role in spending more dollars. Um, and that's where um, really we see that huge gap between people who stop at welcome centers and the, the other visitors to Oregon. This is probably the biggest ROI number of an increase in spending and time that I've seen. I know Iowa did some research probably a decade ago, and it wasn't nearly as, as big as the number you're quoting. So this is like the biggest number I've ever seen in 25 years. Did you get a sense that it was the interpersonal conversation and contact or just the availability of videos and, you know, print materials and collateral. And what is it that really fired the imagination of the people who stop at your visitor centers? Can you figure that out? Unfortunately, 
not, but it's definitely on our radar. Mm -hmm. That was actually the next step for this project. Once we found out that there was a significant difference between spending, our goal is really to delve deeper and understand what is causing this difference. And for this study, we really focused on average spending only by visitors at welcome centers and no causation really is implied based on our findings. Mm -hmm. However, we are working towards collecting that kind of information in the future. We've already added a question to the surveys that we collect at each welcome center asking whether stopping by welcome center really made a difference uh, for their spending and length of stay. And also we are asking in which point did they actually change their mind and all the items that you actually mentioned. Um, so we have it as a multiple choice questions to really find out what is it that create that significant difference in spending. Yeah, just this past week, as we were driving down to Florida, we stopped at a visitor information center in Georgia, and it was essentially unstaffed. Mm -hmm. And it was just, you know, three walls of brochures and visitor guides and stuff. And so there really wasn't an inspiration there for us to to dig deeper. Mm -hmm. But we, we had done some work a couple of months ago with a DMO that inexplicably, and they have a visitor information center, but they didn't maintain a visitor count. And I kind of shook my head and I looked at them and I go, look, there, there's no way I can prove your ROI if you can't give me some numbers. And the, mm-hmm. the only number they had was their merchandise sales, which was like, you know, less than $2,000 a year. And I, so yeah. I can't really make any heads or tails of that. But to your point, they said, but I talked to, you know, this couple, this group, this group, and they extended their stay overnight like- because they came for one thing in our community. And when I told them, oh, but there's also all these things, mm-hmm. they thanked me profusely and they stayed an extra night. And I go, those anecdotes are great, but yeah. <laughs> I need numbers. Yeah. So that's why I'm asking. And I let Allison explain more because she's been reviewing all the great comments that we've been collecting through an open-ended question, our survey that the visitors really share with us. But we do have the qualitative data, which is people's narrative sharing their story when they traveled and stopped by each welcome centers and on our on-site survey they shared with us that for example stephanie or erin who are the welcome center staff were very kind and took time to really share with us the great places to visit so we do have that information but as you said, tying it back to those numbers, it, it definitely needs collecting the data in a certain way to be able to do that. In the meantime, just having those very direct comments from visitors about their experiences in the welcome centers is just very, very helpful and enlightening. We commonly get feedback that says, I didn't actually plan on driving as far as I thought I would in Oregon, but after visiting the welcome center, I had so many good ideas that I added stops and um, visited more attractions than I'd originally planned. And what's fun is, you know, even residents, Oregonians, like their experiences in our welcome centers. You know, one comment was, I've lived in Oregon for over 30 years and discovered more places I'd like to visit after going to the welcome center. We know that there are these connections being made, and they're absolutely 
human connections, their, their friendships and, you know, all the feedback that we get back commonly, we hear friendly, knowledgeable, mm-hmm. specific advice, uh, very welcoming, really. Cause when, of course, when we, we travel, we'd like to connect with people who live in the area we're coming to. And I would trust a resident way faster than a lot of digital channels. And there are a lot, mm-hmm. there's it's kind of an overwhelming flood of digital information. And then who can you trust? And can you actually just have a human conversation about, yeah. hey, should I be heading to Creative Lake right now? Or, you know, what's a good time to do that? So it's great to get that kind of insight about direct comments for visitor experiences. Yeah, I saw a piece online today that said that, uh, and they were equating it to the long lost art of putting a chocolate on a hotel pillow that we don't see that very much anymore. And when you do, you smile, you know, you think, Oh, wow, that's great. You know, it's, it's the little things yeah. and it's that personal touch. You know, the research showed that a personal touch like that causes somebody to spend 25% more on average. So you've got it. It is the personal connection. Mm-hmm. I view our welcome centers as critical to the economic recovery of Oregon's tourism industry. They're absolutely going to serve to help uh, get people out to dispersed places and spend more money. And they absolutely have a critical role in economic recovery. So I'm, I'm just excited to be back open again, Bill. And the next time that you head to Oregon, we're, we're open, by the way. <laughs> Yeah, I wanted to add a point to what Allison said that I think for the recovery, it's very important to think about the role that Welcome Center is playing, providing very up-to-date information to visitors because people are very confused, checking different websites and not knowing which places are open or closed and being able to have that resource to just stop by and ask where should I go? What are the places that are open today and offering safe experiences? I think that's a very valuable resource. Yeah. So next question for you. You clearly have shown a significant increase in time spent in Oregon and money spent in Oregon. What else did you learn in this first wave of research, uh, both tangible and intangible? And the ways that these visitor centers, to your point, still make sense and maybe even more sense post-pandemic. One thing that I noticed um, quickly was that brochures, printed brochures, are still very important to support in-person engagement. Mm -hmm. At first, when the pandemic struck, we weren't sure if people were going to be interested in touching uh, items and paperwork, not knowing really how at the time COVID spread back then, but we never saw a drop in people wanting tangible visitor information once they hit in, your in-market destination. That was a pleasant surprise. It, it wasn't fully surprising, but I, I liked seeing that because there's always the debate about printed versus digital and what's the value of print. And I can, I can say very clearly, it is very valuable and people are still seeking it out. Well, Dan? Mostly what Allison said, and, and it's, it really goes back to that personal interaction and personal touch that in the digital world we are really missing. And people seem to be very satisfied um, with their experience at the Welcome Center. So we collect information on satisfaction 
of their visits and it's been usually very high and, and over time very consistent so that's really promising to see that their experience has been very positive and that's something that we really care about that that interaction feels welcoming and informative so for those dmos that are on the fence and attempting to make the tough decision uh, because you know as you know these are not inexpensive efforts it's a tough decision especially as we come out of this with reduced resources what would you tell someone who's on the fence and who's balancing whether or not to move ahead with visitor information centers welcome centers or to say it's no longer part of our services I would say think long and hard before cutting something that you don't really understand the data of. Mm -hmm. And certainly we all in marketing spend so much, we invest so much to bring visitors to our states and then to not actually have any personal representation once they hit our doorstep, it leaves a lot up to chance. And when you invest in visitors, they see that and they feel great about your commitment to their experience and that you're operating a location where they can have these great engagements and exchanges. So, you know, seeing the value, the actual ROI between what happens with visitors visiting welcome centers, you will be losing that audience. They will not have your services. And that would be shame. Yeah, and I I can speak to the value of the data and research that can be done in those welcome centers. DMOs and state tourism offices spend a lot of money on collecting data and information or purchasing third-party data sets. And from my perspective, data that comes from welcome centers is one of the most accurate data sets that we have because it comes from the real visitors to our welcome centers who actually have traveled and they remember their experiences very well and and that's reflected very accurately in the responses to our surveys and that's something that often is missing from the data that you are purchasing from a third party because there is always the the recall or survey fatigue problem with an online panel of survey respondents. So I always prefer if we have a study coming up to reach out to our staff at welcome centers and ask them to help us with collecting data. And I think it represents um, our visitors very well and the data is very accurate. Did you find that visitors were interested in sharing their, their data with your welcome center managers or whoever was was doing the research on site? Absolutely. And it's really all in the approach. Most of the the time, visitors are are really happy to actually participate because they're kind of giving back and sharing with us what their plans are or what they ended up doing. And they're happy to extend that engagement. And uh, we do incentivize it. So there is uh, an opportunity to be in a sweepstakes to win uh, something, but really um, they're happy to, to share information. We're not, we're not asking for uh, any money for our services. And a lot of times the joke is they'll say, Hey, can I give you a tip? <laughs> and our staff will say, no, no, you can't. I, I can't accept that. <laughs> but um, I think they're so grateful. Yeah. They're happy to give something back. So 
we've had really great success and the staff are champions. They approach it well, they talk about it positively, and I think it's it's a great success. You know, maybe that's the difference that they have come into your welcome center. Yeah. And, and thus, you're not really intruding on their time. I have talked to so many researchers who have really kind of pulled away from in-person intercepts because they find that people are going, no, get go away. So, no, I'm, I'm on vacation. Leave me alone. <laughs> but that's, I think, when they're out in public square. Here, they've actually entered your domain. And so for you to ask them, maybe there's a quid pro quo there that they're more interested in helping someone that they have come to for help. Because I hear people saying, oh, we're not going to research in the visitor center. It's just going to piss people off. And it's like, maybe not. The reaction that you're getting, I think, shows that that's not the case in welcome centers. Yeah, it isn't. When you have those engagements that are happening, they are so personal. And in, in many cases, people will share very personal reasons why they're traveling. And, and not all, all reasons are positive, but maybe someone's has, they have a sick family member, but that's the kind of conversation we're having. We're really opening up sort of that communication and a lot of the conversation is actually getting information we need to be able to help guide them to what we think might enhance their experience anyway. So it doesn't feel like your traditional intercept. It, it's, we're absolutely conversational and it's just part of the experience. There were some considerations that needed to be made, obviously to make sure that there is no burden on either staff or the visitors uh, when it comes to data collection. So we really like revised over and over our survey questions and it's a very short survey that we have on site that we ask visitors to respond to and we created an approach for a system systematic approach for data collection that we created a protocol that it's consistent across all the welcome centers that our staff uses for their counts and entering information about the origin and um, number of visitors. So it's basically the information that are receiving from the conversation that is happening and it's it's really not putting burden on either side. It's, it's a simple way, but very consistent way of collecting data that we've been able to um, execute in each welcome center. And, and I think it's been very helpful. Well, hey, thank you both for uh, finding the need and, and then actually acting on it and getting some really serious data that I think should give everyone who's getting ready to close or sell or I even heard of one bureau recently that they have been saving for, I'm going to say seven or eight years to buy a plot of land and they bought the land, COVID hit, they just sold the land because they're not going to do a visitor center now. And, I, and it pains me because I know anecdotally how powerful these are, but you're finding the the real ROI with numbers. And then that's, that's fascinating. And I think well, well needed. And I wish that more of us would be able to do that. Hopefully they can take a lead from you and, and start doing their own research. And it doesn't have to be, you know, a, a research project that costs hundreds of thousands of dollars. It can be fairly down and dirty and just have the visitor information manager, you know, make those uh, requests for, you know, little in pieces of information that can build a much, much more uh, robust picture of the importance of welcome centers. Uh, so I love what you all are doing. Let's, 
Can't let you go, though, before we get to the bonus round questions. And so, Ladan, we're going to go with you first. So tell me, how did a tour guide in Iran find herself diving into research as your life calling? <laughs> yeah, this started uh, when I was 10 years old. Um, we were traveling with my family um, in um, Tehran. We were at the time traveling to visit Tehran because my hometown is Shiraz. Um, and we were waiting for the bus uh, to come and we were just taking the public transportation with my siblings and my parents. And my the bus was late, very late, and my mom wanted to find something so that we can all be entertained. And she asked us to start counting the cars who were from the city and cars who were from out of the city based on their tags or the plate number. So we all, our siblings, started counting and the, the hour passed very fast. And by the time bus came, I had sorted all the cars by color, model, <laughs> and <laughs> where they're coming from. And everyone was very impressed. And I realized that I really like collecting data and information and that was kind of related to tourism it was kind of my first realization that i i enjoy dealing with data and that's how it all started yeah that is so fascinating we have a very similar story then because um i grew up just outside of chicago and my folks along with three or four other couples shared a downtown apartment uh, and so, mm -hmm. you know, like once a month, we could all go in as a family or they would go in as a couple most, mostly. And I remember sitting on the, on the balcony, at like, I don't know, the 30th or 40th floor of this high rise. And I, I came across this about two months ago, going through some boxes. I actually found a, a pad of paper <laughs> where I was recording how many yellow cabs there were, red cabs there were, <laughs> green cabs there were. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we're kindred spirits here, although I didn't go into research. Fascinating. So, Allison, we've had some pretty amazing stories of first jobs uh, here oh, on DMOU. Oh, oh. Uh, so I, I understand that yours is pretty cool, too. So what was your first gig? Well, it was pretty unique. I'll tell you that. Uh, my first job was harvesting super blue-green algae oh. for consumable products. <laughs> You can consume that stuff? <laughs> you sure can. <laughs> all I know about it is it kills dogs. That's, that's all I know. Yes, it, it, it can. But for human consumption, um, Klamath Falls, the, the algae that grows there is, is pretty unique. And there was a company at the time harvesting it to make food products. Um, and I, it was actually a pretty well-paying job. So I found myself uh, scraping up algae off of these fine mesh screens over these canals out actually by the high school that I went to. And I would come home every day covered in algae and <laughs> exhausted from all the algae squeegeeing that had to be done. But no, it was, it was kind of an entrepreneurial project. But yes, that was... That was my first job. Yeah, harvesting things, I think, is a theme. Um, Kristen Jarnigan from uh, Discover Long Island was on a couple months ago, and she said her job one summer was on an Alaska fishing boat. And she said six hours on, six hours off for a full summer cleaning fish in the bowels of this boat. <laughs> <laughs> she goes, 
but I got paid really, really well. <laughs> she goes, you paid for a sports car three months and I got a sports car. So. <laughs> well, then, really, then you can go anywhere but up after that. That's right. right? That's right. Well, hey, thank you so much for joining us and thank you for all you do. And that is it for this edition of DMOU. Tell your friends and peers, this is where the best and the brightest get together to tell inspiring stories for DMO pros. Thanks, too, to our sponsor at Civitas Advisors, the leading resource for tourism improvement districts. John Lambeth and his expert team deliver unequaled knowledge, depth, and experience to destinations and communities that seek sustainable funding solutions to fuel their futures. You can learn more at civitasadvisors.com. The all-new dmopros.com is where you're going to find more on our services to the DMO world, plus links to past editions of the Z News, the book Destination Leadership, the biggest DMO job board on the planet, as well as links to earlier episodes of DMOU, over 60 in the vault right now. That's dmopros with a Z. Com. Executive producer of DMOU is Terry White, and this is a production of DMO Pros. I'm your host, Bill Geist. Until next time. Mm-hmm.